0: Hi, my name is Joe Locke, and I'm going to be reading two passages for us this morning. It's going to be Psalm 77, verses 1 to 9, and Romans 8, verses 18 to 32. Psalm 77. For the director of music, for Jathathun of Asaph, a psalm. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night my heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And now Romans 8 verses 18 to 32. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things?
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Today's a little unusual because on Sunday we didn't, Uh, capture the sermon audio due to technical difficulties. So I've got a couple of the staff here with me this morning in the office who haven't heard the sermon and I thought I'll preach it to them as we do like to keep a complete sermon library. And it's an issue uh, that faces many of us uh, in society today. So given I know everyone's online at this point, uh, there is a video and some slides that I'll refer to. I don't think there's a way that we can put them up on iTunes, but if you head to our website, trinity.church forward slash CLG, go to resources, find this sermon there. Under there, there'll be links and attachments to the slide I need. So you might, if uh, that's something that interests you, you might want to pause this now and uh, go and find them and come back. Well, it is great you're listening along today as we tackle this really important topic of depression and anxiety. It's part of what we're calling our Gospel Thought series. Uh, The first one was last year. Our regulars might remember it as we looked at the issue of transgenderism. And the idea of the Gospel Thought series is to take an issue of the day and unpack how the great news of Jesus, the gospel as we call it, uh, transforms how we think about it. As we look at the topic of depression and anxiety, we've become much more open uh, about talking about it as a society, yet I still find the statistics surprisingly alarming. Almost one in two people experience a mental health disorder at some point in their life, about one in five people experience a mental health disorder in any 12 month period, and a quarter of those have more than one condition. One third of young people have an episode of mental illness by the age of 25 and 20% of teenage girls aged between 16 and 17 meet the criteria for clinical depression one in 10 teenagers report that they had engaged in self-harm and as statistic released on the weekend as part of world mental health day showed that an astonishing 78% of Australians reported a decline in their mental health in this most unusual and challenging of years. Yet for those who have not experienced something like depression or anxiety, it can be really hard to grasp and you can sit here wondering what everyone's talking about. So I found a video to help on giving us insight into depression. It was put together by the World Health Organization a while back, riffing off uh, the now famous black dog metaphor that the great Winston Churchill coined to describe his battle with depression. So we'll have a look at that video now.
2: I had a black dog, his name was Depression. Whenever the black dog made an appearance, I felt empty and life just seemed to slow down. He could surprise me with a visit for no reason Or occasion. The black dog made me look and feel older than my years. When the rest of the world seemed to be enjoying life, I could only see it through the black dog. Activities that usually brought me pleasure suddenly ceased to. He liked to ruin my appetite. He chewed up my memory and my ability to concentrate. Doing anything going anywhere with the black dog required superhuman strength. At social occasions he'd sniff out what confidence I had and chase it away. My biggest fear was being found out. I worried that people would judge me. Because of the shame and stigma of the black dog, I was constantly worried that I'd be found out. So I invested vast amounts of energy into covering him up. Keeping up an emotional lie is exhausting. Black dog could make me think and say negative things. He could make me irritable and difficult to be around. He would take my love and bury my intimacy. He loved nothing more than to wake me up with highly repetitive and negative thinking. He also liked to remind me how exhausted I was gonna be the next day. Having a black dog in your life isn't so much about feeling a bit down, sad, or blue. At its worst, it's about being devoid of feeling altogether. As I got older, the black dog got bigger, and he started hanging around all the time. I would chase him off with whatever I thought might send him running. But more often than not, he'd come out on top. Going down became easier than getting up again. So I became rather good at self-medication, which never really helped. Eventually, I felt totally isolated from everything and everyone. The black dog had finally succeeded in hijacking my life. When you lose all joy in life, you can begin to question what the point of it is. Thankfully, this was the time that I sought professional help. This was my first step towards recovery and a major turning point in my life. I learned that it doesn't matter who you are, the black dog affects millions and millions of people. It is an equal opportunity mongrel. I also learned that there was no silver bullet or magic pill Medication can help some, and others might need a different approach altogether. I also learned that being emotionally genuine and authentic to those who are close to you can be an absolute game changer. Most importantly, I learned not to be afraid of the black dog and I taught him a few new tricks of my own. The more tired and stressed you are, the louder he barks. So it's important to learn how to quiet your mind. It's been clinically proven that regular exercise can be as effective for treating mild to moderate depression as antidepressants, so go for a walk or a run and leave the mutt behind. Keep a mood journal. Getting your thoughts on paper can be cathartic and often insightful. Also keep track of the things that you have to be grateful for. The most important thing to remember is that no matter how bad it gets, if you take the right steps, talk to the right people, black dog days can and will pass. I wouldn't say that I'm grateful for the black dog, but he's been an incredible teacher. He forced me to reevaluate and simplify my life. I learned that rather than running away from my problems, it's better to embrace them. The black dog may always be part of my life, but he'll never be the beast that he was. We have an understanding. I've learned through knowledge, patience, discipline, and humor, the worst black dog can be made to heal. If you're in difficulty, never be afraid to ask for help. There is absolutely no shame in doing so. The only shame is missing out on life.
1: Well, I couldn't find an equally helpful video on anxiety, but I've heard it described as fear spread thinly over life. And a few people since Sunday have said that actually rings true of their experience. Anxiety affects our bodies, the way we think and act. And for some, an anxiety attack can cause racing heart, dizziness, breathlessness... Or a person can simply be overwhelmed with worrying thoughts, feelings of dread or just outright panic. People tend to cope through avoiding the situations that trigger anxiety. So if larger crowds trigger it, something that seems so straightforward to us, like coming to church, might trigger a real battle for someone with anxiety. But also many report they don't know what triggers their anxiety, which can make that tactic uh, impossible to employ. Now of course we all have fears and anxieties in life and we all experience a normal range of emotions each week. Yet there comes a point where the severity of that distress caused extends beyond the regular human experience. And also there's a level of impairment that can come with it caused by these emotional and physical symptoms. I found the following table I saw on a training day uh, really helpful. It helps us to think about our mental well-being existing on a continuum. Now we can't of course neatly categorise any one of us, but it makes the simple point that we all experience occasional stress to mild distress in life. But at some point that's actually really hard to define, it's some people's lived experience that for a period they experience mild to moderate distress quite regularly, which is a mental health concern. And at some point, someone who experiences marked distress frequently, well, they would fall into the category of a diagnosed mental illness. And on the bottom line there, you can see that alongside this, we can all experience a continuum of how much this impairs our experience of life, our ability to work, sleep or enjoy relationships, for example. And again, I want to be very careful to say that that's a very helpful slide, but none of us fit neatly in a box, and each person's experience of poor or debilitating mental health will be quite different. I'd also like to say up front that God has created us complex creatures, and we've learned so much of them, about them to date, which is really fascinating. But we also have to acknowledge that there's so much we don't know about how our bodies work, how our brains work, And how all of that interrelates with our spiritual lives and for uh, the Christians, for example, how that um, kind of works together with the godly disciplines of prayer and Bible reading and fellowship and things like that, that we see unfolded for us in God's word. Again, a very simplified diagram to make the point that we are complex creatures and there's an interplay between body, mind and spirit. Rather unhelpfully, in my opinion, this complexity has not always been acknowledged, and that's been evident in the church as well. And at one extreme, some think of uh, mental illness purely through a spiritual lens and say or imply that an appropriate level of trusting God or appreciation of the grace of the gospel should put you back on track again. And then on the other extreme, with the growing appreciation of the seriousness of mental health, the spiritual aspect can be completely denied with the simple encouragement that you just need to seek professional help. Which I think is a mistake, as sometimes depression, and I want to stress sometimes, can have spiritual causes or contributing factors. But also, whether or not that's the case... I would say suffering from a range of mental health problems and illnesses does have a spiritual effect on the follower of Jesus, and we can help each other with that. For someone with depression, for example, you can know and acknowledge many great truths revealed to us by God, yet really struggle with the concept to feel it that the God of the universe loves you personally. There can be a loss of the sense of God's presence in your life. Prayer can become difficult and less meaningful. For someone with social anxiety, coming to church can be the most challenging day of the week and sharing life with others can be hard, robbing you of much needed encouragement and friendship. And all of these things I think also work on a deeper level as we beat ourselves up for not feeling more grateful and joyful given we know uh, what we know about the extent of God's love for us shown to us through Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And also poor Bible teaching, uh, pushing the barrow, barrow of triumphant Christian living today, can unexpectedly raise expectations this side of heaven, making us feel like there's just one more thing at life that I've failed at. People with poor mental health can feel like they're being a bad Christian witness to their friends. We are also commanded at many points to rejoice in the Lord always or make a joyful noise to God in song, which needs to be carefully reflected on, not simplistically asserted, as it's pretty hard to do when you're suffering from something that by definition almost robs you of joy. And a final thing to say before we get into the Bible is that because there's a dynamic and complex interplay between body, mind and spirit, we do want to seek to attend to all three. Acknowledging that we often need help from outside with uh, each, uh, with one or even all three of them because if you're really in that sort of dark hole of depression, taking a first step can seem well beyond someone suffering in great distress, impaired in their ability to make change. I'm a big believer in not trying to be an expert in an area I'm not trained for, so I do want to affor- affirm that a great doctor is indispensable. And for some people, they might find a dietitian really helpful, or a personal trainer, as we sort of seek to attend to our bodies psychologists, counsellors and psychiatrists can be really helpful for a time or ongoing with aiding the mind. As the video said, medication can work really well for some, yet for others the side effects can feel worse than the symptoms that they are trying to treat. Each situation is different, there is no one size fits all. So we are going to turn our attention now to the spiritual and the difference the great news of Jesus makes tried to represent that on my slide by a bigger circle to say that's where we're focusing the rest of our time, albeit briefly, today. And there's three things I want to look at. Firstly, we want to look to God's Word for spiritual insight. Secondly, how we can use God's Word for practical help. And thirdly, how being a church family that shows grace to one another can be of great encouragement. So for spiritual insight, I chose our Romans reading for today. So it'd be great to have it there in front of you, Romans 8, verses 18 to 32. Now, I should say we have three full sermons coming on Romans 8 in the coming months as we pick up our Romans series again next week. So for today, just a few insights. The big picture Romans has been painting up until this point is that the world's biggest problem is that humanity has rejected God's right and loving rule over our world and broken our relationship with Him. And not only do we sin against one another, causing great pain, but God's wrath against this rebellion is being revealed. That's the sort of big problem uh, Romans launches into as it begins. And verse 20 of today's reading says that the whole of creation has been subjected to frustration by God. This affects every aspect of creation not working as beautifully as it was designed. And verse 22 puts forward this image of our world groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up until the present time. We've felt that more than usual this year, I think. A year kicked off with devastating bushfires and environmental concerns, great political tensions and divides, as well as the health and economic and household budget concerns that have come with the pandemic. And does the follower of Jesus escape all of this suffering? No, as verse 23 points out. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, which can only be a description of the Christian, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. The effects of sin leave no part of us untouched. We are all groaning and broken in different ways, affecting at least in some way all aspects of body, mind and spirit. And by itself, of course, that's not a particularly cheerful revelation about our world from, uh, from God's word. But it does ring true of our experience and God owns it. And I think the real question that all people everywhere of all different worldviews should be asking, given we can all see these exact same problems, is where then does our hope lie? I think the two most important words not to miss in this reading come at the end of verse 20 there. As we hear of God subjecting both humanity and our world to frustration, in hope. Mm. In hope. They're the two words not to miss. Because it's the great storyline of the Bible, it's the great storyline of the book of Romans that God was unwilling for our rebellion and rejection of him and all the devastating consequences that followed to be the last word in his world. In great love he pursued us with a wonderful plan to win back many and restore them to the status of his children again. And that beyond our present sufferings, there awaits for us an incomparable glory and joy for all who have been reconciled to God again through Jesus. So let's read verses 23 to 25 again. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Our ultimate hope as followers of Jesus lies in the future, beyond this life, and it is a hope that will not disappoint, but for now we wait for it patiently. I chose to make this point today as we look at the issue of mental health because I think it's a really helpful reality check. We live in a world that expends so much energy trying to convince us that happiness is normal and if we're not happy, we're missing out. And that happiness is just around the corner. If you buy a Jeep. If you have an open plan living area with a four metre island bench to do life at. If you find love. Mm And on top of that very clear marketing push, so many of us, and particularly the younger generations, are seeing our world through the social media veneer, where so many expend great energy trying to convince ourselves and everyone we know just how happy we are. And the clear implication of all of this is that happiness is normal. If you're not, it can be fixed. So let me sell you something. (laughs) Whereas God is saying something entirely different, that we're all broken in different ways. None of us should expect body, mind and spirit to work properly now. God is saying, you are normal. I've got this. I've got a great plan, real hope, and I love you. And I've chosen to display that love through sending my son to die on the cross, to wipe your record and mine of sin clear. And to welcome you into God's family today with great glory awaiting every one of my children for all eternity. And as verses 26 to 30 point out, and we'll look at them closer in a few weeks. But for now, in the meantime, God gives every believer his spirit today interceding for us, praying for us working through our struggles for God's good will, according to his purpose. And today, we are being made more like Jesus, conforming us to the image of his own very Son. We should not be surprised that if we're being conformed to be more like the one so often described as the man of sorrows, that suffering would be on the curriculum for our learning. As even the Black Dog video pointed out from a Secular worldview, suffering can be a great teacher, bringing about meaningful change. But I do want to be very careful at this point, because there's quite a difference, I think, in how you might hear and respond to this, depending on where you might be on the mental health spectrum. Let me illustrate by sharing some of my story and uh, if you're following along at home, it'd be good to have uh, the mental health um, continuum uh, there in front of you. I think, looking back now, I spent most of my teen and adult life somewhere largely in the middle column and I thought my experience of life was normal. It wasn't until about three years ago where a number of things changed that i moved over to the mentally healthy column and since then largely (laughs) i have experienced the best mental health of my life and to satisfy your intrigue and the staff team know this because i bang on about it all the time (laughs) i think one of the big changes was being diagnosed with celiac disease and changing my uh, my diet And it's been shown that, uh, over the last decade, that gut health and mental health are linked. Now, there's so much we don't know about it, and there's huge amounts of research going on. But all I would say is, on a sample of one, I'm a huge believer. (laughs) And it's one of the reasons I'm passionate about seeing us as whole people when it comes to mental health, body, mind, and spirit. But right now, I'm one of the 78% of Australians who would readily identify a decline in my mental health, particularly over recent months, stepping largely back into that middle column again, but also with some mercifully brief but rather intense uh, dips into some of the symptoms that would be under that final column. So as I looked at that mental health uh, graphic this week, I designed it on Photoshop and I was admiring it in the office, <laughs> I it actually had one of those moments where I, I thought to myself, you know, in, in a mildly berating way, I thought, yeah, well done Matt, you've successfully taken a good step backwards in all three areas <laughs> of life uh, this year and so it's no surprise to me, uh, my present experience. But I can say that with someone with perspective at the moment, with ability to make some changes that I know will help. Yet for the chronic sufferer of poor mental health, and I've only ever had but a brief window into that world, but I know what it's like, and I've walked with someone very dear to me who suffered from depression for 10 years and unfortunately died via suicide. So I can speak with some degree of authority to say, that when you're in that darkest of holes, you can feel entirely trapped and any form of self-help can feel beyond you. So if that's you, please do reach out for help. There are many people in our community here who would be here from you uh, um, and uh, many others (laughs) I think who could provide valuable insight into this because there's only a small amount I can say in a 30-minute sermon like this. But if that's you, if you're listening along online at the moment, or you're re-listening to this and you're in that experience, uh, a sermon is perhaps certainly not in any way a complete way to be of help, but I wanted to say something of help in that spiritual sphere that I found particularly helpful. So I thought, what's the one thing I would share with someone if I had the opportunity who's in that darkest of dark moments? And the one thing I'd choose to say is, please don't go quiet on God. In your suffering, I know that it's hard. I thought this would get easier third time around. <laughs> I know what it's like to be in that moment, in the dark watches of the night, in tears, frustrated, angry, and only able to say, Jesus If you can manage more than that, aim to use a psalm. God loves you. He doesn't need some polite, theologically correct lie about how you're feeling. You can run to Him like a loving father and tell Him how you really feel, even if that includes anger. Around half the psalms are lament uh, yet all but one of them have a turn in them where the Psalm, psalmist kind of moves to express some degree of confidence in God. And Psalm 77 does as well. And that turn comes in verse 10. We didn't read it. Because I wanted to say, don't beat yourself up for not being able to express the confidence of the often second half of Psalm. I suspect many of the Psalms were written over a longer time period, reflecting back over a journey that might have taken months or years. <sighs> And it's okay, I think, to say the bit you identify with. And as you read the other bit that you don't feel, say to God, I don't. You can be authentic, you can be honest and say, I would like to feel that, but I don't. Just these first nine verses sum up what I'm feeling. Please help, but I'm not there yet. I'm saying the rest of the psalm. Because I think speaking to God, even in pain, bewilderment, and anger, is one of the most amazing expressions of faith. And you're saying to yourself and to the world at the very least, I believe I have someone to complain to. (laughs) Psalm 77 verses 1 to 9, I think, gives voice to what many suffering with chronic depression, anxiety or mental health concerns can feel in those moments where you're lost in darkness. And I think you'll find if you can pray it, if you're in that moment, it's not going to change everything it's not a there are no silver bullets but I can say from experience I think you'll find it a very precious remedy. You can look up on our website I've done a few sermons sermons on Psalm 77 now now you'll understand why and if you want the full treatment on Psalm 77 they are there. But finally, how can we be a community that is more helpful to one another, particularly those who have mental health concerns through to those who suffer more chronically? Like a great many things, I think the answer lies on working out how do we reflect the extraordinary grace God has shown to us to one another. There's more we could say here. There'd be 10 times as many ideas that we could come up with over morning tea, but just take this as a few insights and starting suggestions. Speaking to people over the years who suffer from depression and anxiety, joining us on a Sunday can be a great challenge. On the weeks when they're experiencing a particularly sort of low uh, period, uh, one of the many fears can be of being really poor company or being agitated with someone, or saying something that you know you'll later regret. So it just becomes easier to stay away. Someone with social anxiety can fear the embarrassment of not being able to hold a regular conversation after church, or having to leave quickly, potentially in tears. Many do suffer from depression and anxiety, and they may not want everyone to know about it, which is totally fine. So with that in mind, I think it would be a great thing to keep trying to develop grace and giving people the benefit of the doubt when a conversation ends badly or abruptly. Or where people can freely just say, I'm not in a great headspace today for a conversation. Where we know that if we say something we later regret, we can apologize and we'll be immediately shown grace and love. And because we're all different, sometimes you can see and know that someone is really struggling. And often our first reaction is to run over and start talking talking talking. And of course people suffering from a depression and anxiety want people to know that they're seen and they're noticed. But actually having a chat at that point can be really can make things kind of 10 times worse. Sometimes it might be great, some for some people it might not be. So I think we have to again give ourselves the freedom just to walk up to people and say do you feel like a chat? And not to be offended if they say no. Because we all cope differently and we need to keep developing this culture of grace between us. If you are suffering with depression or anxiety and no one knows, you may find it helpful for someone to know and to be able to look out for you. And to be able to check in in ways and learn what it is for you, given we're all different to what it means to check in in ways that are helpful to you. For some, it might be helpful if their community group knows or a team they serve in knows. Which raises the important point to say that grace will probably need to flow in both directions as well because we will all get it wrong sometimes as a community. We will forget, we will have our own stuff we are dealing with and be completely oblivious. Sometimes when someone says something a little tone deaf or unhelpful, in regards to mental health or suicide, which obviously is uh, something I notice, I try to say to myself, it's a good thing they don't understand. And if you know me, I put my foot in a lot and I appreciate when people show me grace too. Again, that can be very hard Uh, for someone in the darkest of moments. So grace, grace, grace is a wonderful thing to be a mark of the Christian community and our church here at Kernel Light Gardens. With much more that could be said and as Joe approaches with some tissues, thank you Joe. (laughs) Still gets me. I thought it would be a good thing today uh, to close and uh, read the conclusion to these wonderful chapters in Romans 8 together. So starting from verse 31 through to the end, uh, will you join me? And then at the end, I'll let us in prayer. I'll read it here. You've got your Bibles there. <laughs> together. What then shall we say in response to these things? no one Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we um, thank you so much for your extraordinary love for us that uh, despite our world's rejection of your kingship and your loving rule over our lives, that you pursued us and that you had a wonderful plan to reconcile many to you uh, through the life, death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for each and every person uh, who'd be uh, listening along, each and every person in our community who is uh, struggling uh, somewhere along uh, the mental health continuum. Lord, please, by the power of your Spirit, uh, bring, uh, just bring something, uh, a sense of uh, peace, um, some uh, even but temporary relief so they might know that you are powerful and that you are there. Uh, we pray, Lord, um, that uh, you would help us to uh, attend to each part of uh, body, mind and spirit and we think particularly of those Uh, Probably in sufficiently a dark spot where even a small change uh, can seem beyond them. Lord, please bring help. Please bring. Family or friends or if no one is about reaching out uh, to a community of your people somewhere uh, around the world and we just pray too Lord with so many of us with so much going on in our lives that uh, for those who need help please give us great spiritual discernment to stop the many uh, busy things we're doing preparing to sing a song or uh, keeping children safe or making a cup of coffee to actually notice Uh, people are there and that they need help and may uh, our reaching out to them uh, be something that's very genuine and in your kindness and by your great power ultimately helpful that we'll be looked back on in the years to come as uh, a turning point as a as a time where you did uh, reach into someone's life and bring help we pray particularly for those exploring who you are who don't Uh, yet have confidence that Jesus is who he says he is and that he also uh, loves them and has the power to help. We ask that uh, in your kindness um, they might come to hear and uh, understand uh, the great news of the gospel of your son, uh, Jesus Christ, lovingly shared by someone uh, who cares for them and who already knows and loves you. We pray too for all of our... um, uh, medical help professionals from doctors through to psychologists and counsellors and psychiatrists that uh, they too might uh, be strengthened for the task that they face each day seeking uh, to bring help to us being uh, complex and you know almost unique uh, in every way. And we pray too that our community, uh, although uh, very much imperfect, might continue to grow in the grace that we show each other and that as uh, life's uh, bumps and misses and missteps happen, that we would regularly experience uh, grace shown to us and we might be all the more eager uh, to show it to others as well so that as a community we might live uh, transformed lives that are fueled uh, by the power of your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray uh, for all these things and actually for you to do much more than we dare uh, ask or imagine uh, for the glory of your name and uh, for the immense blessing uh, of those who are suffering in your world. We ask this in Jesus' precious and very powerful name. Amen. And just as we wrap up uh, today, it's uh, good to say that uh, if you are someone who um, would like to find out more about who Jesus is, we have our next life series uh, starting uh, this Sunday at Trinity Church, Kernelite Gardens. All the details are on our website. It's free. It's relaxed. Uh, uh, we find it's a great way to um, to actually share life together and what's most precious. Uh, to all of us, but particularly from a church, how central who Jesus is and how that changes everything. So please feel free to head to the website and sign up. We would love to see you there this coming uh, Sunday. And on the website there too, if you're a little uncertain, there's a video on what life looks like. You can hear from people who've been to life. And you can also, in from the comfort of uh, your own device, uh, have a listen to Talk 1 two, to see uh, if you think that is for you. And if you're um, someone who already knows Jesus and thinking about inviting some, along maybe just watch the first four minutes of week one you'll get a good feel of just the kind of the tone and how we like to make it a relaxed and really enjoyable environment for people to find out uh, more about jesus we're also very aware that um, uh, due to the great blessing uh, that our connected world is um, some might be listening to this far from uh, us and uh, many in isolation really in in any part of Adelaide or uh, the world and I would want to point out if that's you um, um, some things that you can do today and are very helpful uh, particularly if in that uh, darkest of moments is to ring someone like Beyond Blue who uh, their number is 1300 224636 or someone like Lifeline which is 13, 11, 14. And how we closed our time uh, together on Sunday was actually to have uh, a song performed for us that we've never sung uh, before as a church. Uh, Kelly, who uh, oversees these things at our church, and I were at a conference a few years ago, and we were talking about this whole issue of Um, just how we can be more helpful uh, to those who are suffering in our presence when we gather on a Sunday because much of Western Christianity has sort of been uh, devoted itself to the the happy, the joyful emotions uh, and of which there's something very good about that. But in terms of a complete diet, uh, we've largely sort of uh, abandoned uh, this whole issue of corporately lamenting together or reading a psalm like we did in Psalm 77. And two of the musos uh, who were there on the day, Trevor Hodge and Greg Cooper, said, oh, we've actually written a song kind of, you know, for this kind of moment. And impromptu, they grabbed their guitars and they sang it to us. Very powerful Uh, for everyone who's there and uh, Kelly, Esther and Ella uh, sang it uh, for us on Sunday and it was just one of those really beautiful moments in our life together as a community obviously if you weren't there I want to point out that you can find that song and it might be a great thing for you to reflect on the week ahead so on any of your favourite streaming services (laughs) search for The Unseen two words, The Unseen and it's by Trevor Hodge and Greg Cooper
2: and I hope you find it as immensely helpful as I have Thanks for being with us.